Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw. On today's episode, I have Audrey, uh, who is in Montreal. And I have known her for a very, very long time, since high school. And I just thought, you have an amazing story. Uh, you clearly have something to say. So let's, you, let's get you on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Ren. We haven't spoken in decades. Let's, let's dive into the first photo. And this is just as a, as a way of getting the conversation moving. And who knows where we end up. But let's start with the fo- first photo. Uh, somebody wearing a suit, big smile on his face. The image is of you two essentially close together, holding up a framed uh, image, uh, a framed certificate. In it, I can see your name. You both have okay. such bright, warm smiles. Uh, nice pipes, by the way. Very nice pipes. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, you look, you look good. You look good. You fit. Um, and, and behind that, it says Canada's Volunteer Awards celebrating Can- Canadians who make a difference. Respect. Okay, what is this about? Okay, so this is one of the most meaningful awards I've ever received in my life. I've dedicated my life to the autism community because I have a son who lives with what is known as level three autism, severe autism. He's an individual who needs help on a day-to-day basis. And we found out really young. He was only a year and a half. We found out they had autism, but we didn't know um, what the future had in store for him. But I knew upon getting his diagnosis that once I settled him into a routine and understood him more, that I would then go about helping others. And so in 2009, I organized an autism awareness run. And the reason I did that was because it's a very lonely seat to navigate. You feel as though you're the only one living that reality. And that's never true, regardless of what you're going through in your life. If you open yourself up, you will find individuals who are are experiencing, experiencing the same thing, going through the same thing or very similar. And so I started, uh, with an autism awareness run and it snowballed from there. I, I didn't have an intention other than, calling out my community, my family, my friends, my neighbors to come out to that event uh, to see me, to see my son, my family, and and to respect us and validate that we weren't alone. And with that, the work snowballed. Mm -hmm. And so I've dedicated, since 2009, I've dedicated myself full-time to the cause on a volunteer basis. So the Canada Volunteer Award goes to those who live in service, uh, volunteering. And the irony is that the volunteering stems from what I created. And so that's what makes it really unique. So to go from this place of just wanting to make a change and a difference, but, you know, not always sure of of my steps. And then to have my own country validate that the work that I'm doing is very honorable, not just for my community, but to my whole country. Was mm-hmm. it extremely meaningful to me? For sure. Especially, I, I, I'm a history major. I graduated Bachelor's of Arts in History, so I, I, I'm, I'm very connected to those type of things. I'm a very oh. proud Canadian, and so that was a proud moment for me. From okay, so from what you don't know about me is uh, through a crazy twists and turns, I ended up uh, meeting the founder of. Uh, one of the world's largest service networks, right? Uh, so DHL International, DHL, when you know the, the company mm-hmm. that sends. Uh, so he was one of the founders. Yeah, so he's one of the founders. And after retiring, I've helped him articulate and focus on what is it about creating a, a, a service network that's unique? And so we really dove into that for, for a long time, since 2006. And... Um, one of the, the premises, one of the main foundation, foundational ideas is that humans are better and stronger together. That's what really makes us so powerful as a species 
is our ability to cooperate with each other. Like, look at us. Like, we're talking to each other, and and we're 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 I'm on the other side of the planet, and somehow we can connect on an emotional, intellectual uh, level, and potentially cooperate. And in the same way, when you did that run, and you went out to the community and you said, "Here I am." This is an experience I'm willing to share with others. Can I inspire others to come together? And um, so that's extremely powerful. And if anything, that's kind of where the power comes from, right? Is that by coming together and by realizing that people's isolation is almost uh, imagined. Yeah, it's huge. So, so in terms of autism, right? For the, like, my, I have a child. She's not autistic. Uh, I have friends in Montreal and throughout the world, actually, who have children who fall in on on the you know on the level or spectrum of autism. So, for your son, how um, severe or like? Pl- please in, in, inform me about what do I need to know. Okay, so autism is an aut- it's a spectrum disorder, uh, as you mentioned, and so there's people that fall in the range of an autism spectrum disorder from Bill Gates, Einstein, Rain Man, right? People who are higher functioning contributors to the world, even the world's geniuses are savants and they're on the autism spectrum. My son's on the the other side of the spectrum where he needs help in his day-to-day life. He's nonverbal. He will never be independent from anyone. He is unable to care for himself physically. Um, And the list of what he will never do is long. And so that's to paint a portrait of who Kian is. He goes, right now he goes to a special needs school. Um, He is always constantly surrounded by someone caring for him, whether it be his family or if he's at school, at school, a babysitter, um, family, etc. He's a human being that cannot be alone, that needs care. He needs constant care. And everybody who is raising a child with autism has their own unique set of challenges because sometimes, see, for the beauty, the key, the beauty of Kian is that he doesn't care what you think about him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a stranger not knowing him, it, it means nothing to him. And within seeing Kian, within being a, in his presence within ten seconds, a normal or developing brain can register that this person is different, mm-hmm. right? Whereas then, when you have someone who's higher functioning but just can't quite connect with others. It's very problematic. So I'll give you an example. When I do conferences, oftentimes I will speak about how an individual with autism doesn't have a societal filter. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Hi, Ran, how are you? I don't like your shirt. It's not something we say, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they're unfiltered. So then that presents challenges for the parents on trying to teach their child how to fit into society. So it's unique to the autism uh, that each family lives with. But also there's known a person with autism can potentially have 21. There's a list of 21 comorbidities. So if we look at Kian's, he's not merely, you know, it's not a pretty little package where he has autism and that's it. He has autism. He has an anxiety disorder. He has a sleep disorder. He has ADD. He has sensory issues. So mm-hmm. you're never, it's not just what, it's not like having diabetes and you, you just watch your sugar levels. Sure. No, it's like, it's having a, a list of things. So the challenges for every family, I know some who are raising children who can play hockey and soccer and, and, and go to regular school. Um, but eventually, as they age, you know, it's it starts to be apparent their struggles. And it comes up often when they have to go out and branch off away from mom and dad, the anxiety that sure. they experience that the parents never dealt with because, you know, their child was doing well academically or loved their sports. Um, but the autism wasn't really problematic until it's time for the child to leave and then go out on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very complex uh, spectrum. Sure. No, of course. Now, 
this is something you've dedicated yourself to, right? So, uh, for example, is it is it more of a blog or is it essentially just a website, information website? The like, talk to me about the Mama Bear site. Yeah. So this is, you know, I am one of those people, and it's just it's just like the Autism Awareness Run, which became a charitable organization, SOS. You know, sometimes your heart's just telling you to do something and you go for it and you jump into it. And I really firmly believe it takes a community. And I be, I believe in the strength of women and particularly moms who, because that job's been done since the beginning of time, we tend to downplay it. But it's such an important job. It's such a responsibility because as a mom, for me personally, I will do everything to protect my children. And that's hence why I use that mama bear analogy that the lengths will go to, to be there for our children. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to selfishly create my own little, I don't want to call it a side hustle, but it was my own little indulgence where I started to write a blog because my, my Facebook posts were getting too long. Mm -hmm. So I thought those who were very interested could then be redirected. You know, I have a new blog blog post out and that was great. And for a while I was really inspired and it was flowing and then I hit a wall, but basically that it was twofold. I had started writing a blog, but I also wanted to give women the permission to dream and to speak out their truth. And, and, and I created, uh, it started with a necklace that I, I had designed with um, uh, a Montreal artist. Um, it didn't take off the way I wanted to, but in, when I look back, it's because I had too many balls in the air. I was trying to do too much sure. at, at what time. And, you know, if you're going to start a business, if you want to be an entrepreneur, uh, whatever it is you want to do, you really have to focus on that thing. And I just have too many things going on. So it kind of didn't go in the direction I wanted to, but there, there were still a lot of lessons I learned and things I took from that. And I am still known as a very fierce mom. <laughs> Got it. No, I know. I, like, I see it. I, I, I definitely, it's, it, you, it's, it's clear. Like you, you, it's part of how you communicate. Wait, who you can are. we swear on your path? I'm so fucking lutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can fuck with me, but don't fuck with my kids. Sure. No, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. Trust and believe you can call me what you want, form your opinion on me, but my children are off limits and I'm a fierce protector of my children. Sure. Yeah. Clearly, clearly. Um, Okay, let's move on to the to the next image, just so that uh, sure. okay. So the the next one I I'm gonna select is the one of it's uh, the four of you in a in a school gymnasium warmly. Uh, your son is tall. He's very tall. He's, uh, he's the tallest. Yes. Yeah. So so talk to me about that photo. Yeah. So that uh, the reason I sent that to you, that's my family. Those are my children. And we're actually at a Christmas party for SOS at the organization that we hold every year in a gymnasium where Santa Claus comes in and we have a breakfast and there's toys. Of course, Kian's outgrown the program, but it's really important that, you know, we bring the families together. And the reason why we did that is some children can't go see Santa Claus in the mall because of sensory issues, mm -hmm. too much noise, and it's anxiety inducing. So we wanted to create that space where they felt safe and understood. So we have Santa Claus come in there and we have a breakfast and it, it turned, it's turned out to be a nice tradition to mark, you know, right before we go into the Christmas holidays. So Although Kian's outgrown the program, it's still important for our family to show up because it's the work we've done together. It's the work that my family has supported me to do, and we we do it in the name of Kian. So that's that image. So it, just so I can describe it, because uh, it's a podcast, people can't see it. Uh, it's right. basically f the four of you standing warmly together in a group group photo uh, in a gymnasium. There's, uh, I guess, like not medicine ball, but like sort of like these, these sort of. Uh, what are they called? The, 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 like the Pilates balls. Uh, there are various things. Like it's a school gym. It looks like a school gym. Yeah, it's very warm. It's very bright. Uh, one of the, the, the impressions that I get, because you're being very public about your family, about your experience and your family experience, the focus is very much on you and, and Kian, right? 
But Correct. so how how does how does your daughter and how does your husband how do they feel? I mean, clearly they're supportive. They're obviously going to be supportive, but you're being very public. So it's like, it's kind of like even just someone's character, my character. And like you said, you've known me since high school and I could see the same about you. We are very outgoing individuals. And I think you might remember Cornell from high school and he was more of a quiet individual. So 100%. Yeah. So Cornell, Manisha is very much like her father. They like they preferred to be in the back in a supportive role and Kian and I up front. My daughter's also, I, I found it very important to tread lightly with how much I would share of her. She has her own voice. I've always taught her that words have power and that she has the power to do what she wants to do and say what she needs to say. And so, it, it, you know, because she can speak and decide what that is, I therefore don't do anything without her permission. And I prefer for her to decide how she's going to show up. No, I got that. No, no, and absolutely. My, and my husband, and my husband too. He's the breadwinner of the family. Like I said, I do this on a volunteer basis. I'm so busy taking care of Kian, and you know, this is something that's so important for me to people to understand. We give, so, and it's true. I'll never diminish that. We do give so much attention to our child with special needs that we have to really be sensitive to the child with a normal developing brain. It's called neurotypical. And so I've been sensitive to, it's almost at times like I've raised her like an only child in the sense of, you know, going the extra mile for the things she would need that Kian doesn't need, you know, or she loves to travel. So we've indulged her in that, you know, she's traveled she's got more stamps in her passport than I do okay. things like that. You know, if she, you know, if she's passionate about something like, you know, taking photographs and she's decided she wants a camera, then we're going to support that right, right. in her. Um, and so, I mean, so I, you know, it comes down to a character thing and, uh, you know, uh, I'm very vocal and uh, Cornell and Manisha are less, but very supportive of what I do. Uh, here's what I know or what I remember of Cornell, because we used to, you know, we used to be friends and we used to play yeah. in, in high school. And, and uh, does he still play badminton? Because he was bitching dope. He was amazing. He won provincials. He was really, really good. And he, what he did is he put down the badminton racket and picked up a squash racket. Okay, so okay. He's still, but yeah. Oh, he's yeah. he's he's a monster. He's he's really yeah. He's, really, he's yeah. been playing for squash now for twenty something years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's really uh, move away from that one to the photo of you at uh, your kind of your hands are together. You're in running gear, very bright and orange outside. It's sunny. There's uh, you're in a race. You have a racing bib on. Uh, there are lots of people behind you. Uh, it looks kind of flat, so it must be on the east coast of uh, of North America. Let's see what else can I say about it. Lots of people. So it's a massive marathon, I'm assuming. And yeah, you're you probably at the end, probably in the middle. I don't know if I don't know if you've stopped because you're you're toast, or if you've stopped because you're done. <laughs> No, this is one of the most triumphant experiences of my life. This is the 2014 Boston Marathon. For anyone who knows the history of the Boston Marathon, you cannot sign up for the Boston Marathon. You must qualify for the Boston Marathon. And so I qualified running another marathon in three hour, under three hours and 45 minutes, just underneath. I worked really, really hard to... Uh, qualify and I went to the 2013 wow. Boston Marathon. Well done. Uh, with thank you, with my family and my very close friends, we were a group of 15. Oh. And yeah, <laughs> That's and I was, a pack. I, yeah, and they all I asked them and and they followed and we went to Boston together and I was 200 uh, meters away from the finish when the bombs went off, so I didn't get to finish the Boston Marathon. Holy shit. And then, yeah, and then so chaos prevailed. Um, And what the organizers did, we were approximately 6,000 runners who did not get to finish in 2013, and they were gracious enough to invite us back. Okay, wow. And so that, when you see the photograph, I'm stopping because, of course, I re-invited my family and close friends to be there. And 
it was the hardest race for me because I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from 2013. So I had to work with therapists to get me back to the marathon. Mm -hmm. And not only that, my father died 19 days prior to the 2014 Boston Marathon. So I'm actually stopping to give grace and thanks to my family who came out for me. And that's that photograph. And so that's one of the most... That's one of the most beautiful, profound, meaningful picture that I have of myself in the mm-hmm. history of my life. Wow. So I, I really wanted to share that with you. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. That's um, very powerful. You're like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> this is what's great, right? We yeah. So... It, you know, it's like photographs, images into people's worlds. If you listen to the other podcasts, different people use photography, relate, react, interact, uh, communicate with their images in a in a you know in the way that makes sense to them. And so, of course, I don't know the the story behind the image. I can only re- you know, um, relate what I see. Mm-hmm. Um, would I have, you know, so for example, when I was studying in university, I, I did a course on the short story, actually, you know, in CJEP. And um, that course stopped me from being in sciences and actually put me in, the, in, in arts. So I, I basically quit physics and all this stuff and chemistry. And I went into creative writing, uh, which was my first degree, based on the idea that if you just get the first paragraph of a short story, you should be able to essentially decode the whole story, right, from that first paragraph. And you can do that with many, many stories. It's just quite a powerful um, exercise. And similarly, you you show me this image. If I sat there and kept looking at it, yeah, now I can see that the, the anchor is to Boston. I can see now that you say you're saying you're, you're giving a moment of grace and it's not at a finish, finish line because there are people still actively running by and past you. So it looks like, okay, you're taking, you're making this pause within, within uh, your, your, your race. One thing you don't know about me is, you know, uh, my wife and I have done uh, long, you know, endurance races as well. Uh, on, we've done them on trails, not, not formal marathons. Uh, I also know the, what post-traumatic uh, stress is. Um, uh, I've been in three near-death experiences. So um, yeah. it was run over by a car. And so at one point we were talking about how uh, Kian or, or people with autism don't have the sort of social uh, filters or, or, or sort of presence. I mean, I had a brain injury, which it, it took about a year to get through. And uh, so I was, you know, I was paralyzed, and and I had like three brain hemorrhages, and and so I can rem- I can I had amnesia, but I can remember what I can remember is my memory coming back when I was in the hospital, because I had frontal lobe impact or trauma, uh, very much no social filter. So I have a, a lot of very earthy, crazy st- stories of shit I'd say, and like, oh my god, you know. Um, you taste that. It tastes like cum. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> what <are you> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah. So, and, and in terms of post-traumatic stress, I can totally f- understand. Because, uh, for example, the other big one is um, we were in, you know, in, in 2004, there was a tsunami, right? In uh, Indian Ocean. Right. In Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, whole yep. in, we were in Sri Lanka. Uh, okay. And um, yeah, we were, in, we were actually, my wife and I were taking surfing lessons at the time. And we're in the water when it happened. And uh, so totally understand. The, the, also the power of, of going back and doing the race, how significant each step is like is a, a, a movement forward and, and how, how uh, uh, symbolic it is like on a personal level. And so you can, so you can connect with that, of right? Of course. But that's what I think everybody I was- can. Because, you know, it's, it's for me coming into the finish line, you know, I saw the bombs go off and my brain couldn't register. I could, I could see the finish line banner, like Mm. what's with the, what's with the smoke. And, but I had two military people running beside me and they flinched and I'm like, wow anybody knows what a bomb is, it would be these guys. And I, I said to them, this, this is, um, 
how did I say it? This isn't uh, normal or right. And they said no. And luckily, I was just right at the last cross street. Wow. So I turned right to run up the street and the second bombs went off in my back. Holy so I was so afraid to look back because Holy we have the images yeah. of 9-11. And all I could hear was people saying, run, run for your life. And wow. I mean, I mean, I don't have to indulge in, in, in creating that visual for you, someone who has, you know, been through things that have, are very traumatic. But um, yeah, because of that, uh, I don't get to really dissect the story a lot. Mm. I think, you know, our... our you know, let's be honest, our attention span, unfortunately, has diminished. And so do people really want to hear every little point sure. that I have to make on that story? So I prefer to, that's why I shared that photo with you, because what was most important, and, and it's it stems from being Kian's mom and past traumas as a human being, to say, you know what, you fall down, but you get back up. And that whole race in 2014, I wasn't convinced I was going to um, finish. And ironically, they say the most famous left-hand turn is onto Boylston, which is the finish line. It's 500 meters, flags, crowds, like mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. most spectacular. It's the most epic marathon in the world. Wow. And I turned the corner and I was so fearful. My heart was pounding out of my chest. And I, and I literally said, oh my God, I'm going to have a heart attack, right? Because I was so overwhelmed. But then I thought, and then I said to myself, come on, Audrey, seriously, you ran, like you ran and you walked. Like, it's, you're not winning the marathon. Like yeah. you're going to be okay. And the, the truth is, you know, I had that thought and it's as though like it was a movie. It's as though, though the finish line came to me right. rather than me. Right, right, it. right, right, right. So, you know, I love that story and I'd love to share it. And especially, you know, Having lost my father, who should have been there with me again in 2014, I like to share the story because it is a story of human resilience. It's, you know, Kian's autism cannot define um, everything that I am. There's still parts of me that are Audrey. Oh, for and sure, that's for sure. Very important. And that and that's all connects to the mama bear and it, it all just comes together. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's the meaning of that photo. Wow. In order to get to that point, in, ter in terms of the training that gets you to the point to be able to run it uh, well, you're doing a lot. Are you doing other races as well? Yeah, you always do. Uh, you'll usually do a half marathon to test where you are in your training a few weeks prior. Um, you're always testing yourself. I would often go to start lines of smaller races just to feel people's energies and you know the race feel and stuff mm -hmm. like that and to tell you the to tell you the truth um i'm actually a country bumpkin at heart i uh, i've been to marathons in vermont where we're 500 people and that's more my jam okay. than being packed in like sardines to to um with 30,000 people but to be very truthful there's the reason I did it was I fell so hardcore in love with running that I wanted to prove mm -hmm. that I was a real runner. To yourself, I wasn't just yeah. a weekend warrior. I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like life itself. You're going to define what your successes are. You know, some people's getting a law degree. Me, it's being a good mom. So, sure. yeah, yeah. you know, who gets to define? You get to define your own success. So for me, I was like, I, I, you know, and it was one of those things. The first uh, marathon I ever ran was Montreal. And it was like, hun, I just want to run one marathon. I just want to mm -hmm, prove mm -hmm. that I can do this. Well, I, I totally lied. Yeah. It took me three. I ran three marathons before I qualified for Boston. Okay. And um, yeah, I think that sounds right. Three. And, but I worked really hard. I'm not, I'm not a natural, I'm not naturally built for that. So I was an individual who had to work extra hard to get there. I just made it to Boston. Mm -hmm. This is truth. But the training was hard because I was still raising Kean, as I said, who has a sleep disorder. Wow. And there would be some nights he would be up for hours at a time. Wow, wow. So wow, wow. and I would still get him off to school and I would still then say, okay, now I have to run for the next two and a half hours. In nineteen ninety seven, my friend Paul and I went for a bike ride on the outskirts of Montreal. We rode to some cliffs, stashed our bikes, and began to climb. When we were about 50 or 60 feet up, that's almost 20 meters, suddenly I spotted Paul falling off the rock face. 
he fell straight down to the boulders below. Luckily, he survived. Yeah, we were so dumb. We were so dumb. Back then, sport climbing wasn't like what it is today, with climbing and bouldering gyms pretty much in every city. Actually, Paul and I would eventually get proper training on how to climb and boulder. This brings me to thanking our next sponsor, the online climbing store Climb Smart Shop. If you want to get into climbing and bouldering and would like to order some beautiful, delicious, and juicy gear, visit their online store. It's great for climbing shoes, ropes, carabiners, and all the gear you need to climb safely and securely. Visit their store to see for yourself what an amazing collection of gear they have on sale. Their site is www.climbsmartshop.com. Thanks. Kian's your first child. No. Manisha. No, your second. Oh, Manisha's old. Okay. Yeah. Kian's your second child. Yeah. Am I binging? Who's pinging? Okay. I'm sorry, I'm binging. (laughs) (laughs) Each time I each time no no each time I say Manisha, I hear a bell. (laughs) 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 Um, It's fine. Um, Okay, so, uh, I okay from having a child myself, the first you you know I have a very um, abrasive, aggressive kind of. Um, re- relation to, to 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 having children in the sense that you know the first few months of having a kid they're they're such assholes like it's just like having a <laughs> newborns suck newborns just suck <laughs> it's so true <laughs> and then okay so you know the first three months brutal six months kind of brutal you in my mind it really starts getting good after about one or two years when they're i mean it's still good before that but after one or two years it really starts getting kind of rewarding because you're getting a lot of the the interaction and the response and say after five i'm up even uh, up to like a five-year-old you're still giving you know you're flipping them off when they turn around because you're just like oh you're such a little monster but so in terms of development, um, what what was up until one year for you with Kian, having had your your daughter's experience, to start realizing, okay, wait a minute, like how how as a parent, how did that? And and if this is too sensitive. Listen, I'm I'm sorry. No, but, honey, you but, said the name of your podcast was raw. I'm yeah, so let's get in. This, I'm waiting for this shit to get raw. I'm like, <laughs> what, oh no, my hey, god, listen. he's like. He's like so PC. I'm like, I'm uh, what? Come on I'm now. not bringing it. I might bring it. I don't know. Like, bring it. No, bring it. No, no. Like, so no, but like, walk me through. What is? How do you, does your mind awake? Because in those early years of a child, luckily you had a, a child beforehand, but the first like six months, one year are pr- hard. So how? Walk me through that that awakening that happened. So first, for somebody of all, who doesn't know. No, no, it's all good. So first of all, he was a child who met his markers. And it was actually, um, you know, a little language delay. And it was, it was by accident, we figured out he had autism, because he had chronic ear infections. So we kept medicating him. And I'm like, listen, we're not going to medicate this little baby anymore. We're going to, you know, put the little tubes in and get on our merry way. And then the doctor who performed that surgery said, well, I have all my patients do a follow-up audiology examination. But what I didn't realize about an audiology examination, it's behavioral based. Okay. Okay. They have these flashing lights, these teddy bears. I don't know. I was in there with him and I was like, I don't even know what any of this means, but whatever. He was non-responsive. So then they said, okay, you have to go to the Montreal Children's Hospital and they, um, they had me then go to the Montreal Children's to determine with another test that he actually had hearing. They asked us uh, several questions. They said, okay, have a good day. We send the results to your doctor. Two days later, the pediatrician calls and says, uh, the Montreal Children's Hospital is called. He has hearing, um, but they're red flagging, flagging him for autism. Boom. Okay, thank you. Bye. That, that's how it goes. There's really? no support. Yeah, wow. they just drop bombs on you. Even when the day he got his diagnosis, it's pretty much, okay, he's autistic. Bye. And it's still like that today. It's okay. a travesty. Yeah. 
So I knew it made my son different, but was I going to have a Sheldon from Big, Big Bang Theory? Was I going to have a Bill Gates on my hands? Was I going to have a Rain Man? Well, I didn't know, right? Um, and so it's mourning kind of the loss of the life. Because, you know, even when a woman pees on her stick and it's positive, she's already dreaming that it's a little girl that's going to live in her image. And the husband dreaming, oh, it's a little boy that's going to live in my image, right? So... So you kind of, you have to go through a grieving process, but I was always hopeful my, when he got his diagnosis, my job and I was, and what I focused on was giving him the best start to life I could. Right, so if right. he needed an occupational therapist, he had one. If uh, he needed like a parent. speech yeah. therapist, listen, I called so many people mm -hmm. and this is where we'll get raw because, you know, sensitive ears can't handle this, but I would call people and say, listen. You understand, I will prostitute myself to give my son the life that he deserves. Sure. Do you understand this? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and that's, and I, I, I spoke to everybody. I called, like, it was just, it was, a, it was constantly. Sure. But the one thought I had, regardless of what stage he was at or what age he was at, I, all I wanted was that when I went to bed at night, I knew that that day there was nothing more I could have done for that wow. child. Wow. Yeah. And, and that, 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 then I knew I was okay. Then right. I was like, okay, yeah, there was nothing more I could do today. So, so does it make sense to you make that connection of, of your brain, the, re, the response to, to that challenge in that way to running? Well, okay. So he was, so when you ask the question about raising him and Manisha as little infants and toddlers, what made them different is she was a quiet little girl who would play with her books. And she actually learned to walk later, like considerably late. She was 15 months old. Um, my son, on the other hand, which I thought was a typical boy, was bouncing off the walls, up the furniture. Isn't that like the sure. what we're told, the yeah, narrative? The cliche, like, yeah. uh, that's a boy. Yeah, the cliche. And so, um, yeah, so... You know, I forgot my point. I forgot what I was going <laughs> Totally, I threw you off. Okay, okay. Smoke. I less got thrown off. Don't throw. Don't smoke weed before you go on a podcast. I know it's legal Just here. Joking. It's legal Just here. Joking. I know. Listen, no, no. It was um, basically the connection to running. So on the one yeah, hand, okay, yeah. So, so as he ages, this kid's. I, I kid you not. This kid's bouncing off the wall, and because I'm his, um, you know, I'm his mom. I'm taking care of him all day long. All I want is time to myself. Mm -hmm. And I was non-athletic in high school, sure. didn't, you know, the whole thing. I just needed time for myself. So I said, everybody owns running shoes. So I said to my husband, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to try this running thing. And um, actually, and then I had some girl girlfriends over one night over uh, a few glasses of wine. I said, you know what? I think this year... I'm going to run a 10K, just like that. Yeah. And then, you know, like, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's the wine talking. Sure. But I am that person that when I say something out loud, it's very important. I'm a person of integrity and I want to follow through. Even if nobody cares what I'm doing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I've said it out loud, I've given it life, I want to follow through. And so I did the training and I ran my first 10K, but it's in the, the process of running where I came back to myself. I mm -hmm. wasn't just you know, Kian and, and Manisha's mom and Cornell's wife, I was really just Audrey. And then so it went from going out and having that time alone to then starting, you know, it felt really good. It, it, you know, you did trail running, you know, when you cross that finish line, those feelings, they're real. Mm -hmm. It's, it's in some cases, it's pure magic. And so I just set out, I set out, you know, goal, I set goals for myself. And I, and I dedicated myself to achieving them. And uh, and then it took me two years, but I really, it became part of who I am. For sure. It's just, a, it's a passion I have. And even now during COVID-19, there's no races, but you know, there are still, there's still ways we can challenge ourselves. And right now I'm running 10K every day for the month of June, right? So that's 30 days in a row that I'm going to run 10K. And you know, Great. I'm not going to get a medal at the end of it, but it's something that I just said, this is what I'm going to do mm -hmm. for the month of June. Yeah. And so that's, that's the catalyst for my running is really the stress and the needing to have alone time and reconnect with who I am. And that's, that's where my running comes from. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
But it's like the tenacity, the stubbornness from running long distances. Uh, you know, I think I, I feel like the first hour you're just kind of getting, you're washing out the, the you're just kind of finding the the pace and all this stuff. But um, it, for example, for you or for me or for us, when you're when you go on on a long, it could be running, cycling, whatever it is. There's the meditative uh, quality, right? Um, essentially, if you're you're you can't really talk. You can you can chat, I guess, but you can't really blab blab away for more than an hour. Well, then you don't want to be running with me. <laughs> but you can, but it, for, like when I when I when I do it, like Delian's like, geez, you know a lot of songs because I'm Mr. Verbal Diarrhea. Like I'm I'm constantly yeah. yammering away. But but it comes to this point where you kind of empty the noise and it's very meditative. And so me hearing you say, you know, I am going to persist and chase and try to figure out the answers to help my son, help me figure out how to give him the best quality of life. I mean, that is so consistent with somebody who goes out and says, I'm going to run, you know, 30 kilometers. Like you, you kind of just have to keep pushing through past the wall, keep going for sure. I yeah. it makes perfect sense to me. Um, it's also very solitary. Uh, you know, running isn't really, I mean, even if you were running with friends, yeah, it's kind of social, but essentially running is a, like the training is essentially a, a, a solitary exercise. It is. I do my best thinking when I run. I mean, I'll leave the house with a problem and I'll come back with a solution or uh, I'll be feeling a kind of way and I'll come back and I'll be like, yeah, that's how I needed to start my day. Um, you know, and it's exactly what you said. It's also you get you 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 connect to a lot of things. Um, I love running on trails. I haven't experienced doing trail races. Um, I know you're familiar with St. Bruno here and one of the best races I ever ran, we, it was in those trails, although I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a trained trail runner. Um, that was one of the most beautiful. I love to be around the trees and nature and, you know, the smells and just, and, and that adds to the experience, right? Um, but for me running, yeah, it's really become so important to me. And then, and this is funny because I'm now writing a lot, uh, not just my blog. I, I set out to write a book and that's what I said, you know, when women see me and they're like, Oh, you know, Audrey, you're so inspiring. You know, I can't run. And I'm like, my answer is, well, like, first of all, you have to want to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's where it starts. You yeah. can't just mimic somebody else's Instagram account. Like you have to want it in your heart. For me, it really, it was a process. It took me two years and I, it's, it's one of the greatest loves of my life. And so I say, don't kid yourself, honey. If I wasn't running, I would be chasing down a bottle of uh, pills with a bottle of vodka. Mm. Okay. So that's what running also saves you from, you know, I did suffer and I do suffer from anxiety and bouts of depression, although I feel I've conquered them with my running. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was a solution. It helps your brain chemistry. It's, sure. you know, there's, it's just win, 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 win. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I could talk about running for hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, let's, listen, uh, I've done lots of lots of uh, races. Uh, lots. One one thing that you don't know about Hong Kong, you probably imagine the big city. I don't know if you've been to Asia or if you've been to Hong Kong, but amazing, amazing trail running races. Amazing because the topography is all hills and and it's dramatic, and right. um, so there are lots of lots of races uh and, and i know look uh when delian and i we, we did the it's called it was, they don't do it anymore it's called the phoenix walk it's 75 kilometers uh of trail running and uh lots of uh it was intense it was really hard uh so that's two two marathon lengths and uh yeah. kicked our ass but yeah very and in, in that case for example um i'll probably bleep it out but you know i made some coffee and uh so basically some coffee with in it and then halfway through, uh, I drank a bit just so that because it's like it's so relentless, right? It's like seventy-five. Like you're walking in the trails in the dark, and um, and then and I'm yammering away, ba -ba -ba, singing aloud. And Delian is more of the quiet type who, because you know, I I think in, in couples, if both people have that intense energy, like that uh, outgoing, extroverted energy, you drive each other crazy. So I don't know about you, 100%. but. 
Do you do a lot of reading? Sure, of course, yeah. Okay, so I just picked up David Taylor's book. He's Superman. He just passed away. And he was an over, an obese alcoholic who became an ultra marathoner, who's wow. run Bad Water, who's done uh, Leadville 100 and, you know, that Amazing. whole like wow. transformation story. Unfortunately, he passed away at the end of May with uh, just, um, you know, it's not a simple surgery. It was a back surgery, but he shouldn't have passed away. And uh, I listened to Rich Roll podcasts and he's in California. He wrote a book on ultra marathoning. And so now I'm reading David's book. And so I can connect with what you're saying about all those ups and downs and things that happen to your body when you dedicate yourself to doing these, because it's not just a trail run. Trail runs are ultra marathon Mm -hmm. distances, right? So I just find it super interesting. I would encourage you to pick up the book. He's written three, but the one I'm reading now is Broken Open. Okay. But very inspiring, very inspiring. Yeah. So, okay, so let's go back to, okay, so within Montreal, okay, so I know Quebec, the, the, I know the healthcare system in Quebec is pretty, uh, it's got its problems. And, um, you know, and so, for example, I've had, I've had a couple of nurses uh, and I've had a couple of uh, medical people on the podcast. I have some medical training as well. So uh, I like getting behind the curtain a little bit, behind the scenes, say, okay, what, what has it been like? Looking at the, at a, at a, the health network, in, in Quebec as compared to BC is one thing. But if you look at the health network as a, as a service entity, a service uh, program, a service organization, and as a, as a service recipient, why don't you talk about the frustrations you've had in getting care? Yeah, what are, what are some of the, the sort of the, the greatest frustrations or, or that you've seen? It's actually, um, so when you say you spoke to some nurses, does it pertain to COVID-19 or prior to? It was because of COVID-19. Okay, it's because of COVID-19. So I feel, oh, it's so tragic what we, how we abandoned our elderly and the Quebec government knew what was happening in those homes. It's a, it's a disgrace. Um, I don't know if you realize that last week, Uh, the government of Quebec came out with their triage protocol in the case of a second wave of COVID-19. And in that documentation, they say that if a doctor, uh, that in essence, uh, people with special needs, um, if they have to make a choice between a younger, normal developing human being, that they do not uh, provide uh, intensive care or a ventilator to the person with special needs. So um, this came to me last Thursday, and I'm actually still in a state of shock. I think one of the reasons I haven't processed that fully is because we are still, as a family, in a space together. We are s- starting deconfinement. But we're still here. And in order, I think, to process properly, I will fall apart. And I don't want to do that to my my children. And so I, 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 I keep holding on to that. But I am fucking mad as hell that a government would stand up and think they have the right to decide whose life has more value than the other. And Is- for me... Is that set about the? Is that set as a governmental policy, or is that is that not? Don't the people at the hospital make that decision? Well, this is what they're saying because they're using Italy as the example how it overwhelmed doctors and nurses to be to make the choice. Uh, I'm a little bit like you, thinking, well, doesn't a doctor take an oath to and a nurse to save the people that are presented to them? And so because we've never faced a pandemic like this before, it comes down from agencies like the World Health Organization and such like that and ethical boards saying, well, yeah, we're going to deem, you know, that some life has less value. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we have to adopt that. Here I am spending my whole life trying to show people the value of my son and what he's he's. You know, I've come to the conclusion that Kian has made a huge impact on the world. I'm his voice, but mm-hmm. it's because of Kian. So here you are telling me that this person who's affected 
so many lives. I mean, I post a video on Facebook with Kian swimming in the pool and, you know, five, 600 people are going to watch this video mm-hmm. of this boy floundering around in the pool, right? Because I'm trying to demystify autism. It's not the autism you think you know that your neighbor's son has. It's this is our autism. This is how we live. And so as a mom and a, an activist fighting so hard to say that it, anybody born has the right to live their best life possible. So what government has the right to say you don't have that value? So I'm actually strategizing right now with those in government who don't agree with that, with the triage. I'm now working uh, with parents and, well, as you already have guessed and anybody listening will know that I won't settle for that. It's, mm-hmm. it's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And once I process, I'm 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 going to work on on making it having that changed. I've asked people on Facebook to sign a petition saying that we need to review this that it's unacceptable. Right. So I'm I'm always trying to do my part. So take me so take me through your process because you kind of hinted at it. On the one hand, something happens, but then you have to internalize and react collect yourself, see how you, you respond. So, so if you, if you, if you watch yourself, like put the video, turn the camera around. So you're actually watching yourself in how you behave and how you process. So what are the stages that you have to go through to get motivated to go out there and actually say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have an impact. Well, the, the plan, it's already up in my head, right? Let's understand the process is like a grieving process, right? So you're faced with this problem and you're in denial that it's happening, right? And then what is it? You're going to get mad. You're going to get sad. I forget which one comes first, but there's going to be a whole range of emotion from me crying my face off to me smashing some stuff, you know? <laughs> Are you a smasher? Uh, is that is that no, you? No, I'm, re- I'm really, I'm really not. But it, I really just thought it sounded good. Like I, I'm really not. I, I restrain myself a lot. But no, but to, even to give you pure, honest, raw context, I haven't seen my. I've seen my mom physical distancing. Who who uh, we just celebrated her 75th birthday, and I was leaving my home yesterday. And I literally pulled up in front of her house and I went into her house and I just let her hold me. And I cried for about three minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, of course, we need to be touched. We need to be yeah. connected. So with, I just, sure. but I did that because I was still, tr- I'm still trying to save face. I'm still trying to keep it harmonious in my home. Yeah. And so I don't want to have these big, ugly debates. Uh-huh. And so I just needed, you know, we all want our moms, you know, and you know, and I, I mean, I can't send this podcast. I don't think we can ignore it. And, you know, it's just like George Floyd's, some of his last words were calling out to his mother. That's yeah. the power. That's the responsibility we have as moms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you connect that all together, uh, I'm that mama bear. I need to protect my son. I, so I, this, what the C- Quebec government is doing is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I'm going to immobilize people and we're going to, we're going to make some noise when the time is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there really needs to be a change in how people view people with special needs. But there has to be that person to say, well, how do you do that? Just like the Black Lives Matters movement, you know, it's to say, OK, I put up my hand. You know, I acknowledge my white privilege and I don't accept what's happening. But please tell me what I need to do. And sometimes we really have to break it down right. um, for people Um you know, on how to approach them, how do they see them, what's happening in their minds. And even when I'm, you know, I give conferences and I'm trying to explain when it comes to Kian, if you have a 10 second interaction with him, because, you know, you have this expectation in your, in your mind sometimes, but sometimes a 10 second interaction for someone like Kian can be huge. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? We're always expecting that it's, you know, it needs to be, uh, you know, at least a, an interaction of X amount of time for it to be a success. And I try to, you know, you have to, you you have to, I don't want to say lower your expectation, but adjust them for the person who's in front of you. For sure. You know, so, so even when I go to Kean school, I've been, you know, when he was transitioning from what is primary school to his high school. And I literally, they were showing me the the school and a little girl like 
ran 10 feet right up into my arms. She has Angelman syndrome. Didn't know her. I just mm-hmm. picked her up in my arms and I held her back. Yeah. And I held her. I held her. She wanted to be hugged. She jumped sure. in my arms. I'm like, let's go, child. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and, and and you know, it's 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 going back to what we said right in the beginning. It, how it's all about human connection. But you know, it's like, and I've said this time and time again, I've said it on uh on other podcasts or I've written about it, is that you know, there's this idea that people with autism do not have friendships. And I'm like, that is so not Hmm. true. And we run a summer camp and we see it all the time, but their friendship looks very different than ours. But why do we judge their, their friendship on our standards? Yeah. Of course. You know, Kian, Kian can sit beside someone for, and, and, you know, just, just for him enduring a time beside another individual, individual for him is, and in, in his mind could be like, yeah, that's my buddy. He sits beside me when I come to camp, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's changing the narrative and and walking people through that. And I think we failed to do that. And part of the problem is, you know what? Parents raising special needs children, especially with physical disabilities, where you're using your whole body, mind, spirit, everything, we're you know, we're just so tired that there's not much room left after we go to work and we care for our family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to have those voices. Um, but I think my family and, and how we've shown up in the world and how we've figured things out, I think I can continue doing that. And that's really what I want to do. I kind of want, you know, part of that to be my legacy. Mm-hmm. And when I looked and I did the research on who could mentor me, who who are, are people before me who who advocated and, and did work in, 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 in this field. And uh, Eunice Shriver Kennedy was one of them. She's um, She was in the middle of uh, the Kennedy clan. She was, uh, she may have been the second girl born out of all of the Kennedys. And she founded and she created the Special Olympics okay, yeah. because her, her sister Rose, uh, was special needs and they were very competitive family. They did, you know, they swam tennis, sailing, they, they mm-hmm. did all these things and Rose could do them. Right. So, you know, uh, Eunice was convinced that these people can do anything. We just have to support them. Mm-hmm. And really I read that book and, and, and she was really the only person I could find that could inspire me. Now the difference between her and I is her dad, her brother was uh, JFK. Yeah. So he was like, Eunice wants it. She Let's wants money, pass the bill. Just give it to Eunice, give yeah. it to Eunice, give it to Eunice. Right. So it's, it's, so it makes it hard. And if, if I can get raw for a second and it's something I don't talk about, advocating for special needs it's already you're going up you know a really you know steep slope and then you know we don't want to you know we don't want to talk about the ugly parts of it but I'm an anglo-speaking woman here in Quebec Mm -hmm. okay so the degree of the 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 grade of the hill just went up yeah and of course people you know I can't talk about it because I have to be PC I have to Mm -hmm. be politically correct all the time because I represent an organization a charity and other people so it's always we gotta tread lightly but I'm tired of doing that too and the truth is is that with what the government just came out with I'm like yeah I'm dropping my gloves because I'm fed up with playing nice here, here's um, okay. Going back to to okay, so the work that I do. One of the one of these ideas is uh, it comes from this book called The Constructal Law, and this guy and I've mentioned it a few times before. Is that systems tend to fall in favor and prefer uh, flows that have fewer barriers in them. <clears throat> so think about like water. Water tends to flow downhill because it's the easiest. Uh, way for it to flow, right? So in the same way, you know, li- begin in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is such an amazing city because, as a as a society, it has relatively few barriers to flow, so people can uh, explore and do commercially and all this stuff. Uh, it's easier to do things than in other places. When I look at Quebec and I think about, you know, for example, what you described, there's so many barriers to flow. Like, so for example, all the barriers that like you're a citizen, you pay taxes, you, you do everything. And yet 
granted because you're aligned with one part of uh, just linguistically because English is your stronger language than French, even though you are bilingual. I know you speak French, you know. But because of, of, of it's like the society puts these barriers to flow and it makes Quebec less competitive. It makes it less attractive. It makes Quebec a less interesting place to be in, which is really why the brain drain in the case of my wife and I, why we left, right? It's like, fine, we don't, you know, if, if there's so many barriers then why would we stay? And in the same way, uh, somebody would say, well, you should have just, you know, uh, gone better French uh, capacity or capability. Okay, well, but what, but why, why put that as the, the threshold? Like, why not get rid of the barriers and open up the society? So in your case, why make it harder for parents who have needs, who have real needs? Why put those barriers there and not remove those barriers because that makes a greater society sorry you you hit a nerve <laughs> no no but I, I i agree i you know i work i live in the city of Kaniac, which is in the suburbs of montreal and even here the the, the biggest barriers i meet is, is is with my own city that you know the other the other citizens here don't even know what's happening but it's you know they 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 want to stay stuck and they'll, they'll, you know, example, they just did a reorg in, in their, um, in their leisure department. So all the uh, programming for sports, for kids and, and all that kind of stuff, they did a reorg. So they brought in, you know, there's younger individuals who came into those roles. And every time I ask them a question, well, because that's how we do it. I'm like, you realize that's not an answer, right? Yeah. Because we've always done it like that. And I, and I encourage them. I'm like, let me tell you something. They hired you for a reason. Don't fall into that's what we've been doing forever. Be the change. Be mm -hmm. the change. We need you to be the change. Mm -hmm. And so I challenge this city all the time and saying, like, this is unacceptable. But there's only so much energy in my tank as well. Of course. Right? So, of course. Uh, you know, but it's true. Like, like, even my colleague and I today were having a conversation. And there's so many things about Quebec. You're like, uh, you know, like... One of my dreams is to own a tiny home, okay? It's to have a little tiny home somewhere on a plot of land surrounded by nature's beauty. There's no tiny home nation in Quebec. Okay. There's none, okay? It's just, it's they just don't do it here. So, you know, or there'll be a fascinating program or... Uh, in, in, in the other provinces, but it's not offered here. And it's mm -hmm. just like, you just get like, why they're fabulous ideas. Why do we not have this stuff here? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's that we've got to protect this, you know, instead of doing it for the greater good and trying to elevate us all. And like you said, be in this flow with other provinces and, and, and other countries, we're just like, no, we're jammed there. And this is the way we are. It's super frustrating. But the thing is, we never left because our family is so important, especially in the with the whole Kean factor. Sure. And I created the organization. And so I don't like to say we're stuck here. We had a choice. Uh, but there, yeah, I have to like block off the, mm -hmm. the, the amount of frustration uh, that I go through. So hence why get out, run a 10K and face the world. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so uh, let's just um, let's just bring this to a close. Uh, how what's the one thing you would what's the one thing you would like to transcend the work that you've done the challenges that you're facing right now that you want the message to be say look if there's one thing you remember about me this is it this is you know either in terms of a call to action to go visit your your your, your website or is it to, to join you on the petition what is the thing about to put it out into the world okay well it really is the idea of a legacy. I really, um, the idea of working nine to five, coming home, caring for the children, going to bed and do it all the next day has never appealed to me. I've wanted, always wanted the structure of a family. I've always wanted to create a family, but I've always felt in my heart that there was something I can contribute to the world. And I'm not saying the world en masse. I'm saying my little corner of the world is fine. But, you know, I always 
was in awe of people who lived in service to others, who 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 made that difference, who who made an impact. And so, and I don't know about you, I think it's like this for most people, but we have children and we want our children to be proud of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I want Manisha to be proud of me. I want Han to be proud of me. And so I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave my footprint on the world. And so therefore it's to what is most important for me that I've defined for myself is my advocacy work in the autism community to, you know, and really it's, it's, it starts with the desire to create a space in this world for my son, where I don't think there is one really, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I, I think about that a lot. I think about you know, just continuing the work I, I do and, and growing in that work. What started off as leisure programs for young children, you know, as our children go, grow, as Kian grows, you know, we started to offer programs for teenagers. And now he has schooling till 21. So when he's an, an, an adult, there's not there's no programs for him. He's mm-hmm. expected to stay home with me. Right, Imagine right, right, a, right. A, a grown man is meant to stay home with his mom every single day and she's to provide you know stimulation brain stimulation physical stimulation and all those things which i think is not a life for myself and it's not a life for my son so those are the next steps i'm looking at to develop programs yeah not exactly a hallmark of uh of a of a great society no of an existence and and so you know it goes back to the that that seed uh and I believe it's truth. Everybody born has the right to live their best life possible. Sure. Yeah. And why would we, why would we want otherwise? Sure. Why would we not want that for people? Mm-hmm. And the beauty of Kian is that his joy in his world is very simplistic. Um, but let's provide him that mm-hmm. let's not, let's not find it acceptable that, Oh, well, there's just no program. So when he's 21, yeah. his life expectancy is not shortened right. by any means. Right. So from the age of 21 till I can no longer, I no longer have the capacity to care for him. That's the plan. Sure. That and all the 15,000 other families living this reality in Quebec, mm. you know, so it's wow. to find, it's to find some solutions and, and um, just to keep, just keep going at it you sure. know, until, until I feel Kian's taken care of. And maybe then I could take a break. Yeah, I don't just, know. <laughs> just keep, keep, keep on running. Keep hammering. Always forward. Keep running. Always keep forward. Running. Yeah, Audrey, thank you so much. This is really, um, yeah, this has been really great. I really appreciate it. And uh, ending these, these podcasts is always a weird sort of feeling. Like how do we say bye? So yeah. Thank um, you so much. If, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, maybe we'll meet again. Thank you so much for joining me, Randall Fauci, for this episode of Shooting It Raw. I really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about the show in general or today's guest in particular, be sure to check out the episode notes at www. Shooting Raw.com. That's shooting-it-raw.com. I appreciate everyone who takes some time out of their day to give Shooting Raw a listen. So get out there, make amazing photos, and be sure to appreciate how amazing the world is.